Santon Time Studios in Africa's richest square mile. This is the Santon Times Podcast with your host, Alexander. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Santon Times Podcast. It's episode 51, week 19. And uh, wherever you're listening to, welcome to uh, this recording. A little bit different, and I know it's a bit late in the week to be doing this. But uh, yeah, we're trying out something new this week, and it's been a little bit of an exercise trying to make it work. But we're actually going to be doing this recording live on Twitter Spaces. So if you're listening right now and you're on Twitter Spaces, you can uh, participate in this podcast. And if you're listening to it delayed, well, you're still going to get exactly the same, uh, you know, that you've gotten to know over the last uh, 50 odd weeks. So uh, nothing changes too much for you, but I'm looking forward to seeing if this uh, Twitter Spaces concept works, like if uh, we can actually take people's uh, voice notes or get their feedback. Uh, This should be quite interesting. But uh, as always, if you want to get in touch, you can email editor at santantimes.za.za. You can connect with us on social media at Santantimes. And also, you uh, don't forget to visit santantimes.co.za for all the latest coming in and out of Santon. Right. As always, you can subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating for this podcast on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. And uh, it's going to be a little bit interesting to this uh, this week. I think it's going to be a little bit rougher than usual because we're doing it live with a couple of moving parts. Quite interesting to see, as I say, if we get some input from some of the people listening on uh, Twitter Spaces. And I don't even know if many people have started using Twitter Spaces. So this is totally experimental. And you're joining me for this uh, experimental podcast. Uh, sort of adventure that we're going on to see if this works or doesn't work. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, great. Carry on listening to it on that. And if you happen to pick it up on Twitter Spaces uh, as we you know, put it together during the week, that's great as well. And uh, you can send us uh, a voice note or be part of it. And I'm actually not even too sure exactly how it works. So if people pop up on Twitter Spaces, they can kind of request to speak. And then you can kind of pick up their request to speak. And then you can sort of put it out there. I can sort of speak to you. So anyway, we'll see how this goes. As I said, we're going to take this as it comes. And if it's a little bit rusty and if it's a little bit rough, then uh, so be it. Welcome to you, wherever you're listening, in uh, Greater Santon and uh, beyond, uh, in uh, different parts of South Africa, and also to all the people that we that always listen to this podcast from around the world. I'm always fascinated by that. Uh, you know, people who are sitting in the United States, in Canada, France, the UAE, uh, the UK, I mean, all is well in Santon land if you haven't been here for a very long time. Things are starting to sort of defrost a bit, uh, but, you know, we're still not uh, through the vaccines yet. We're still not through uh, COVID-19 yet. It's still very much a reality. So, uh, yeah, we're having to sort of work around that uh, as much as possible and uh, having to sort of live this uh, next normal. As mentioned, if you are listening on Twitter Spaces as and when you pop on and pop off, welcome to add your comments. Be cool to chat to some people and we'll as I say, we'll figure out how, to, how the input works and, and, and how we uh, actually pick up your uh, voice notes. That should be quite interesting. We had a great trip to Eastern Cape. I think last time we chatted on the podcast uh, was roughly two weeks ago. And yeah, we had a trip to the Eastern Cape and uh, we also marked our 50th podcast milestone, which was also really exciting. But what a great trip it was. And let me briefly touch on it. We're going to be chatting a little bit about this later on uh, in this episode. But my goodness, you know, uh, we we broke it down into two parts. Uh, What a fantastic car that Peugeot 2008 is. 
amazing handling, uh, the most insane sort of gizmos and gadgets and, and sort of additional things that they've added on. There's so much to talk about. We actually did a whole review on it on the santantimes.co.za. So hop onto the website, go check it out if you want to read up on it. There's some cool pictures of the car as well on there. But yeah, I must say a really good experience. And I was actually really impressed with uh, what Peugeot put together there. So we took the car, headed down to Bloemfontein and we kind of broke it up in two parts because Honestly, it's about a 10-hour drive, and I'm not the kind of person who likes to sort of hot-footed to anywhere because you kind of miss out on a lot of the things. And even on my way back from the Eastern Cape, I realized there's so much to see that you actually almost need even more time to make your way down there and back again. So, yeah, unfortunately, didn't get to see everything that I was hoping for, but uh, down in Bloemfontein, stayed at the AHA Bloemfontein, a very nice little hotel. It's, it's really great for sort of a, a quick stopover. They do sort of a continental breakfast in the morning and that was onwards to uh, the Eastern Cape. And we stayed at uh, two different lodges that we checked out. Uh, so you kind of go past the Kharib Dam and then really into the hinterlands of the Eastern Cape, which let me tell you is beautiful. Uh, I really was totally impressed with uh, the Eastern Cape. Uh, normally, you kind of think of the Eastern Cape and you think, you know, is there much to do? Is there much to see? Let me tell you there is. And it's actually sad how under-marketed and under-promoted it is. Because once you get to, you know, sort of the places that we managed to get to, I mean, some of the fantastic sort of greater Addo reserve areas, I mean, just very different to what you would see in the Kruger or what you would see sort of Limpopo, Northwest area, very different landscape. Also, different animals as well. So you got the you got the Cape Zebra, you got the Cape Leopard, which is something you wouldn't see up, uh, you know, in, in Kruger or in Limpopo. And yeah, we, we had a really good drive uh, with, with, with this Peugeot 2008. Stayed at Kazuko Lodge, uh, and we've got the full review of Kazuko Lodge up on the website as well. And then uh, also then headed down to Shamwari because they'd gone through a fantastic renovation during lockdown. And as they sort of sent us this, this, these details, we said, listen, we need to come and have a look at uh, what's been done, and it's been uh, well overdue. But uh, we're going to chat to some of the team from Shamwari a little bit later on in this, uh, in this episode. And like I said, if you you're tuning in on Twitter spaces, feel free to uh, put in a request or raise your hand or however it works. Uh, as I said, we'll figure it out. It'd be good to chat to you. It'd be good to, to get some, some of your input and uh, to hear from, you know, what, you, what you've got to say and, uh, and kind of get some feedback from the Samson community. And like I said, totally experimental at this point. What's coming up in this week's episode? Well, our tour of the Eastern Cape took us down to the newly revamped uh, Longley Manor in the Shamwari Private Game Reserve, as mentioned. Brace yourself for a conversation of ultra-luxurious proportions uh, later on in this episode. Then uh, we took some time out to visit the Shamwari Rehabilitation Center as well. Stay tuned for our discussion around that. And then finally, some big changes lined up for South Africa's Lions. Uh, we chat to a change catalyst fighting for their future. But right now, uh, in this week's episode, I think uh, it's time for us to uh, check out your news to go. Right, let's have a look here. Tang Restaurant opens this week on Nelson Mandela Square. The uh, highly anticipated Tang Restaurant uh, is located on the site previously operated by Wang Tai. And Tang is designed by award-winning interior designer Tristan Duplessis. Uh, hospitality entrepreneur Nikki van der Valt has been very hands-on as the restaurant kicked off into full gear this week. And uh, he describes this new space as an oasis with a resort feel in the middle of Africa's richest square mile on par with the best in Dubai, London, or Miami. 
And uh, if you've been to Nelson Mandela Square, you would have seen Tang is uh, under construction. It's been on the cards for quite some time, but it's it's finally opened. And this weekend, they started taking their first bookings. Uh, we managed to try some of the delicious offering on the menu. For the full story, do visit the Santon Times uh, website. There's also some cool photos that we've taken of the space and uh, of some of the meals. Then, uh, talking about food, Vivas Restaurant... I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, Vivash, we'll go with Vivash, a restaurant uh, at the Radisson Blue Santon revealed its 2021 menu at an intimate dinner this past week as well. Dishes were very focused on comfort food as uh, the temperatures are dropping. Uh, go check out the Santon Times website as well uh, because we've got some great photos on there and you can also just have a look at uh, what you can expect there. Then uh, Johnny Walker and Richard Nisi have launched a pop-up store just for this weekend as Johnny Walker marks its 200th year year of walking the quintessential liquid has opted to celebrate this milestone through an iconic collaboration with world-renowned fashion brand and culture bender rich nisi for a limited edition capsule collection set to launch this weekend and you can shop that collection as well uh, rich nisi is joined by four other designers including kaylin carr good friday and dip street each with their own interpretation of the walking or keep walking slogan and striding man. Consumers and brand enthusiasts can get their hands on the Johnny Walker Limited Edition Capsule Collection, which according to our estimates consists of less than 2,000 pieces across five different designers. Uh, and that runs from this coming weekend, May 14 to May 16 at Nelson Mandela Square. And uh, unfortunately, you can't just rock up there. You have to kind of book a slot and there's only so many slots available. So go on to the Santa Times website. We've put all the information on there, how you can book your slots. When we started chatting to the team in the last 24 to 48 hours, they were saying, look, it's a race of two thirds packed. So uh, don't be disappointed if uh, there's no availability, but give it a try and uh, see if you can go and have a look at some of the great stuff. We we had a bit of a preview, stunning stuff on there. Um, some really awesome designs. And it's always amazing to see South African designers really go the extra mile in uh, in really showcasing some of the amazing talent that we've got uh, in the country. Then the big question we have in the next 72 hours, can Natasha Joubert take the Miss Universe 2021 crown? Uh, it's uh, time to set your alarm and get the coffee plunger ready because uh, Natasha Joubert steps onto the Miss Universe stage to represent South Africa uh, in uh, in less than two two days' time, it all takes place at two a.m. South African time. So that's Monday, uh, May seventeenth at two a.m. And you can watch it, as far as I understand, on YouTube. Uh, Miss Universe will be streaming it on YouTube, or you can watch it on One Magic on DSTV, which is DSTV Channel One Hundred Three. It's down to the wire for Team South Africa and uh, Miss Universe contender Natasha Jobe as months of preparation come down to three hours, and she's up against seventy of the planet's most gorgeous women, yet South Africa is hoping for a back-to-back win. Although Natasha is a hot favorite to take the Miss Universe title, according to polls on social media, global betting sites are placing her in the top five with a possible fourth place finish. There have been three South African Miss Universe title holders to date, two of those in the last four years. Margaret Gardner took the title back in 1978, followed by Demi Lienel Peters, now Tebow. Uh, so she's Demi Lee Tebow, and uh, in 2017, 
And finally, Zozebini Tunzi in 2019, and she's the longest reigning Miss Universe in the pageant's history. That boils down to the technicality of her having gotten the title at the end of 2019. Then we had lockdown and, you know, the whole COVID-19 situation, which meant that the pageant had to be moved out for 2020, 2021. So she's... um, being the longest title holder, which is also quite a, quite a record. If Natasha does manage to take it, it'll be a magic double for Team South Africa with a back-to-back consecutive his victory, having only happened once before in the history of the pageant. Uh, Venezuela uh, took it back in 2008 and 2009 and was the first and last country to take the Miss Universe title in succession. It would be a first in the competition's history for a country to take the title three times in a row. And then finally, uh, there's a third wave uh, conversation happening when it comes to COVID-19. Gauteng Premier David Makura has announced that the third wave of COVID-19 has hit the province. And this is according to ENCA. There are currently 6,712 active cases in Gauteng as we speak or as we record this, this podcast. Other parts of the country are also seeing an increase in new infections with Gauteng currently having the most active cases. Makura, however, has warned against shutting down the economy. That's your news to go for this week. You're listening to the Santon Times Podcast. Well, it's an interesting one. Uh, This week's episode, we're doing uh, all of this live on Twitter spaces whilst also uh, packaging it and putting it on the 10 odd different podcast platforms that you can listen to it on uh, at a delayed stage. If you are listening, if you'd like to be part of it, uh, give us a shout. This is the Santon Times Podcast. Follow us on social media. So we've been talking about this tour that we've been doing to the Eastern Cape. And uh, one of the incredible places we have the chance of visiting is uh, Shamwari Private Game Reserve. And when I say Shamwari Private Game Reserve and unbelievable places, like we've been to some really incredible places. I'm not just talking about South Africa, we've also been internationally, we've been to some great places, but this is truly quite something. And I'm not just trying to sort of boost our next uh, guest's ego. No, listen, listen, this is really something spectacular. I, I mean, when I walked into uh, one of the lodges, I couldn't actually believe that something like this actually exists in South Africa. And uh, it really is something which is ultra luxury. We talk about five-star, and I almost want to differentiate between South African five-star and international five-star. This almost feels like five-star international five-star. Because for that entire trip that we were there, I tried to find something to fault them on. And you know, you you almost become a little bit pedantic when you start turning around um, plates and cups and, uh, you know, you start taking the linen off the bed to try and see if the mattresses maybe, you know, are, are, are not up to scratch. But let me tell you, these guys have really gone all out. They've done an incredible renovation there and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have been there. So I'm thrilled to be joined by Theo Cromot. He's the General Manager of Hospitality at Shamwari Private Game Reserve. Theo, well done. Well, Alex, I don't know what more I can say to that. Um, if I could ask you just to do that all again on TripAdvisor, you've got freedom <laughs> of the city at Jamwari. Those were indeed very kind words. I, I can't thank you enough. No, Theo, listen, honestly, I mean, uh, that this wasn't just some sort of uh, buttering up exercise. It really was an incredible stay. Uh, what a beautiful uh, space. I mean, we, we got the chance to stay at uh, Longley Manor which is, I think, I think the crown jewel. I mean, we haven't seen all the other lodges. I know you've got about seven uh, on the property. Uh, but, but tell us about how things have been so far. Before we get into all the details, how have you guys been coping with lockdown? We're now in 2021. We still haven't got any international tourists coming through the door. But uh, how are things going? 
Alexander, it's been tough. I'd be lying to you if I say it wasn't uh, tough, and it isn't tough, and uh, it's still going to be tough. Our industry as a whole has taken a knock. Uh, lodges, hotels, restaurants across South Africa, across the world are suffering probably like no other sectors. So it is very, very tough. But it is what it is. And uh, I think um, how we've responded uh, is something that makes us all as a team very, very proud. Because as you rightly pointed out, there are no international visitors at the moment. We haven't had uh, foreign accents through the doors at Shamwari for since the 27th of March uh, last year. What it's forced us to do is reinvent the way we think, uh, reinvent our business, open up new markets, and learn from mistakes that, quite honestly, I think we as a business made in the past. Um, and that was uh, ignore the local South African market. That, I think, is definitely a positive because what it's made us do, change our operation to cater to our local side of it. Um, and on top of that, I'm very pleased to say we, we've been successful. Um, we have enjoyed phenomenal support from uh, local South Africans, from Johannesburg, Cape Town, Pitratif, Mpumalanga, Eastern Cape, KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, we really have welcomed uh, South Africans from across the country through our doors. So, yeah, we're very grateful for the support. And to be very honest, Alex, I think it must, may sound dramatic, but I actually think it's the local South African market that has helped us survive uh, to date. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I suppose, you know, without getting into the hard questions so early on, but I think uh, one of the questions I think I asked you when I saw you uh, at Shamwari uh, 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 one or two weeks ago was to say, well, well when all of this is over and uh, the Germans and the UKs and the Chinese and everyone else gets to come back to Shamwari, uh, borders open, will that gesture of, uh, of goodwill to the South African uh, visitors remain in terms of favorable rates or making it more accessible to South Africans? In a word, yes. There can't be any ambiguity about that, Alex. Um, without doubt, um, and that was where I say we've learned a lesson from the past. I think the conversations that I've had with a South African guests since we opened our doors on the 16th of September last year, after the first, after obviously we were allowed to operate, we opened our doors. It was just before September holidays, and we had great support. Since then. I've had countless conversations with uh, South African guests, whether it's at breakfast or lunch or as they're walking around the lodge, where I've got um, guests thanking us for these incredible rates that have enabled them to come and stay here. Never in my life have I ever had a situation where I've got guests thanking us to, that they've come to stay at the lodge. I mean, obviously, it's a wonderful feeling, um, and I correct them very quickly, and I say, no, 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 you shouldn't be thanking us. We're the ones thanking you for your support and for your loyalty and just helping us keep our doors open. Then the next question comes up, are those rates going to stay? Um, and that's why I said to you from the start, 100%, absolutely. Uh, the conversation goes on with, with guests and they understand our business model. Um, and what I said to our guests is the same as I'll say to you, Alex. We are not a national park. Uh, we are a privately owned uh, game reserve, private game reserve of 25,000 hectares, and we pay for everything ourselves, whether it's the roads, the fences, the anti-poaching units, uh, the welfare of the environments, the welfare of the animals. Uh, when animals get injured or, or sick, we look after them at our expense. So as a result, uh, we absorb all of those costs ourselves. Um, ourself. As a result, then obviously we need to charge rates that makes the business model sustainable. And obviously then foreign exchange and foreign currency 
an international guest is how we have managed our business in the past, where we've had close to, well, over 90% has been international business. However, now, um, in the last year, we've had no international business and we've developed a relationship with a lot of South Africans who have already been very loyal to us and come back a second time and a third time and a fourth time. So it would be suicide of us to dismiss that loyalty um, and it's certainly not something we're going to do. Um, what it means is you might not get the local uh, South African rates over your Christmas or New Year period, um, which is our peak season, but certainly there are other times of the year where we'll manage our business just like any other hotel or just like an airline, where there'll be discounted rates available to local South African residents um, throughout the year, but we'll just manage it very, very carefully. Um, but in answer to your question, uh, we've enjoyed the support of local South Africans. Uh, we, we will not turn our backs on them uh, when the pandemic passes or whenever or whatever the new normal looks like. Um, but one thing is for sure, we're going to keep the local South African rates and recognize the incredible support that South Africans have given us. Well, that's good news, I think, indeed. And let's go back to a time uh, when uh, things looked a little bit differently and you had embarked on a massive renovation um, for, uh, I think it was Longley Manor specifically. I could be wrong if there's a couple of other uh, expenses that came into that as well, but maybe just talk us through this renovation because there might have been some people yeah. who have been to Shamwari before who are saying, oh, no, I know what it looks like. I've been there a million times, but uh, no, no, you haven't. No, it looks totally different. Yeah, look, the, the last two years, uh, three years at Chamwari um, have recreated, we've effectively repositioned the entire Chamwari brand. Um, that repositioning came with a price tag of uh, 25 million US dollars. Um, our owners uh, from Dubai invested in 2018 and 2019, uh, or just over 25 million US dollars. And what that uh, investment uh, funded was number one, the complete rebuild of our uh, Eagles Crag, which is located um, in the middle of the reserve. We rebuilt our Riverdean Family Lodge. Uh, that was a complete rebuild. Um, and then we underwent a one-year refurbishment of the flagship Longley Manor. Um, that's the lodge that you stayed at, and it's currently the only lodge out of all of the lodges that are operating at Shamwari. Um, and then we also built our new Sindile Luxury Tented Camp. So. Over the last three years, um, we've effectively relaunched four of the eight lodges at Shamwari. Um, but over and above that, we spent a great deal of money training all of our chefs, implementing new wine lists, uh, coming in with new menus and culinary experiences, and just elevating the entire hospitality experience right down to the coffee that we use. We're very proud of using Bean There Coffee Beans, which is fair trade and certified organic. Uh, we buy our beans uh, from a, a guy in Cape Town who gets his beans directly from the farms in a number of countries uh, on the continent of Africa. So there's a story behind all of the hospitality experiences, whether it's the food, the wine, whether it's your boma experience, whether it's a picnic lunch, uh, a bush breakfast. We elevated all of these experience, experiences to complement uh, the Big Five Safari experience. So in a nutshell, um, over the past three years, uh, a lot of new hospitality offerings completely revamped and they're together with uh, four spectacular uh, new lodges. Um, so that's in a, in a whirlwind uh, tour around the investments and the developments here at Shamari. But uh, effectively, most of our guests who had stayed here before 
they might, they might remember the old pink Longley Manor. Um, that is now, um, after a year, being completely rebuilt uh, to something uh, rather spectacular. And as I say, that's where the majority of all of our guests have stayed uh, since the 16th of September. And like yourself, um, Alex, when you arrive and you walk through the reception and you step out of that 120-year-old uh, manor house and you overlook the infinity swimming pool with nothing but 25,000 hectares of conservation reserve in the background with the watering hole in front of you with 40 elephants feeding, um, yeah, it's a very, very special experience. Um, it's a wonderful sight. Um, and I think it's... Uh, if you haven't had your vaccine yet, I think this is the next best thing to getting a vaccine. <laughs> Listen, absolutely. And I think it's it's been money well spent. I mean, you've just touched on just some of those experiences. Like you said, when you walk in uh, through those doors for the first time and you see the infinity pool with the uh, watering hole for the animals and depending what time of the day it is, you might get luckier than other times. But it's just the service was fantastic. The food was r tremendous. I mean, the game drive, we had heated blankets and hot water bottles in the morning. I mean, we had a drink on top of a hill with a gin bar uh, overlooking, you know, the reserve. You know, it was just, everything was just really wonderful. And, and like you were saying, you know, South Africans are unable to travel to very few places right now. I know the Maldives is a hot favorite at the moment if you want to go through through all of those tests and whatever. Listen, this is the next big thing you're going to get to uh, in terms of going to Mauritius or Seychelles or wherever. This is your yeah, safari exactly. Seychelles right here in your own backyard. And yeah, exactly right, Alex. Um, you know, it's funny you make that point. I mean, we've had um, a couple of groups since September of last year, um, big South African companies that were meant to take 30 of their executives to New York City or 20 of their board members to Dubrovnik or wherever on, a, on an international incentive trip. Obviously, none of that has happened. Um, but we had guests, um, we had that business coming to support us here at Shamwari. Um, and the reaction was overwhelming. I mean, the kind words that you've shared with all of the experiences and the service and the people, I think that is probably what we're most proud of, are the people working here at Shamwari. I mean, it is a tough time, and we, we, we spoke about that. Um, but the fact of the matter is when you watch your fellow South Africans react and respond to a place as special as this, um, and then we're given an opportunity to serve them and create incredible experiences, be it at the lodge or out on the reserve, you know, uh, it really is a heartwarming experience. And the team have done so well because you, we always think that, you know, you have to offer this incredible level of service and hospitality to international guests, but it's, it's not the case. Um, you know, we've learned South Africans um, are very, um, very value conscious. Um, and as long as you're delivering good value for money, um, you know, it's not a cheap and cheerful product. Uh, it's not a cheap product, the amount of money you, you're spending to come here. But we have had overwhelming support and good feedback saying it might not be cheap, but it's great value for money. The point is, is that when our staff and our people have an opportunity to engage with fellow South Africans, I have to say, it's, it's almost been therapeutic um, for us as an industry during a very difficult time to engage with fellow South Africans and just offer them that world-class hospitality and, and almost proudly demonstrate what we as South Africans are capable of. And you don't need to be an international visitor to experience that. You can experience it here 
it, on your doorstep and you don't have to go to New York. You don't have to go to the Caribbean. You can experience it here. So that is one obviously very heartwarming element. Uh, but the other point you mentioned is we are pretty confident that when vaccination programs kick in in all of our key markets, destinations like South Africa, certainly destinations like any safari destination, whether it's in the Kruger, whether it's here, I think those are destinations that will pick up a lot quicker than others, purely because you've got, you, you're not in a crowded space, you've got uh, social distancing becomes a norm. With all the right protocols in place, it's a very safe place to come and visit and spend time. Um, after two years having been cooped up in an apartment or in a, in a lockdown situation, wherever in the world it is you've been. So I guess that's, uh, it all means one thing for us, in a word, hope. And that's what we've got lots of. Jithi, I feel like I could speak to you the whole day. I mean, there's so much for us to cover. Um, I mean, I also just wanted to touch on the fact that, uh, you know, you've been host to royalty, you've been host to international celebrities. Uh, I mean, and they they travel halfway across the world to to see what you offer. So for us to take a, a what's it, a two-hour flight to PE and then the, the quick tour over to uh, to your lodge, I think it's about an hour and a half, maybe two hours, I think, by, by, by road? No, from Port Elizabeth uh, Airport, less than an hour. I, I dropped my wife there this morning, um, and literally I was left the airport. I was back on the reserve 45 minutes later. So, you know, that, and that's a, a, you, you make an interesting point, um, Alex, because when South Africans uh, typically think of a safari experience, um, understandably, you think of the Kruger. Um, and that's how South Africa has marketed and sold its safari experiences. But... As you saw and as you experienced for yourself, um, you know, I, I met my wife um, at when I was running a lodge in the Kruger, uh, which was the pinnacle of our industry. Um, but when I, so when I came to Shamori for the first time, I had very high expectations. It took one game drive to understand that the wildlife experience, the safari experience in the Eastern Cape is by no means inferior to that of the Kruger or any of the private reserves in the north of the country. So that's been uh, quite an educational process for us, is educating the local market that you don't need to go to Joburg and then drive four or five hours to Kruger. You can fly from Joburg, Durban, or Cape Town, which is an hour or an hour and a half into PE. Less than an hour later, you're on the reserve, and that's where you relax and chill. With incredible weather, the most diverse landscape, um, excellent wildlife, big five, malaria-free, it's a great experience. So I think that's also been one of the learnings for us uh, through this pandemic is um, how you market your destination. Um, yeah, that's that's been one of our focuses for sure. Theo, well, I'm going to add to that and say that, uh, you know, I think the whole of the Eastern Cape tourism needs a, a big wake-up call because we took a drive down. Uh, it was about a 10-hour drive. We did it in two lots, so we stayed over in Bloemfontein, and then we came down for the second part. And I had actually honestly discounted the Eastern Cape uh, on my last tour to say, well, is there really anything to see there? I mean, you know, you kind of know about Grahamstown, and unfortunately that's also uh, looking a bit rough at the moment. I went to school there for a little bit, and, uh, you know, and then what else is there? And after this trip, having, having driven through the little roads, uh, the little towns, you know, you kind of go past Karib Dam, and then you kind of take your way down to Craddock and whatever, Unbelievable. I yeah, think there are beautiful. so many hidden gems in this province that need to be promoted and need to be shown off equally as the Kruger Park and Cape Town and all these other places. 100%. You know, you also made, you remind me of another gem that I discovered in the last year, which I never would have thought. But out of PE, you can do, you can take a boat charter 
um, where you can do whale watching and a variety of other water-based safari activities. So what we've done is we've tied up with an operator in Port Elizabeth. So you can come to Shamari, spend maybe five days here, spend three days uh, on the reserve um, doing land safaris, but also then do a day trip, get on a boat and go and do some whale watching, go to Bird Island, um, go to some of the um, um, maritime attractions. So you're absolutely spot on. I think the Eastern Cape could probably take a little bit of criticism for under-marketing some of the assets, um, but certainly towns like Bathurst, Craddock, the areas that you just referred to now, uh, the coastal towns of Kenton, you know, these are all such wonderful destinations that you can package together with a safari experience, be it at Shamari or anywhere else in the Eastern Cape. But one thing is for sure, the, the, in terms of the, the actual safari experience, world class. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, listen, I mean, if you've got kids, and I know River Dean isn't open at the moment, but if you're listening and you've got kids, please put this on some to-do list. Uh, I don't know, hang it on the fridge, uh, whatever you need to do. Just make a note of River Dean. We went to go on a, on a quick tour there. It isn't fully operational at the moment, but we wanted to have a look. They've got the most insane jungle gym that they've built there. I mean, if I was wow. if I was 34 again, I'd be running around uh, this thing the whole day. I mean, it's got tunnels, it's got tree houses, it's got a pizza making corner for the kids I mean you can just go bananas there if you're you know at the right age the parents can park off yeah. at the swimming pool with a cocktail all is taken care of what a great family product yeah I mean you, you hit the nail on the head again Alex it is I love going across to Riverdean obviously when they're guests um, and I always am so amused because when guests check in um, with their family I don't know who is more excited whether it's the kids or the parents <laughs> Because that, that adventure club, there is there is nothing like it. I've certainly never seen anything like it in Africa. And I've done a, a fair amount of travel internationally. But in terms of kids' facilities, um, it is it is very, very unique. Um, it's wonderful. Um, as you say, the, the network of tree houses through the trees, the climbing walls. Um, but obviously, we, we've got supervised kids' programs for kids of all ages. So, yeah, it is a, it's an incredible facility. And mom and dad, they don't need to worry about the kids. They can just do their own thing and also get downtime. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a product we're very proud of. And certainly, uh, it is closed at the moment, but um, we've had high demand for it during holiday periods. So, you know, if in the June or July holidays, if we see that we've filled up Longley Manor, we'll, we'll undoubtedly um, open up Riverdean uh, and then make that available for any families traveling with kids. Um, but you're right, it is world-class. It's very, very special. Well, Theo, as we wrap things up, I want to quickly just touch on this thing happening on the 25th to the 27th of June. You've got an, uh, a really cool event happening, Safari Unplugged Music Getaway with uh, Craig Hines from Watershed. And I must tell you, when we were driving back from uh, Shamwari all the way back to Joburg, I think we listened to two or three Watershed albums on the way back uh, just to kind of get into the vibe for June because uh, it sounds like such an awesome uh, idea. Uh, he's also yeah. being joined by yeah. uh, the Gate String Quartet um, tell us a little bit more about this for people who want to see watershed in, yeah. this, in the bush. I mean, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we having to reinvent ourselves. And one of the ideas we had was to create theme weekends. So um, we've uh, marketed a variety of yoga weekends where we've got an alliance with a very prominent yoga instructor um, locally based that will come in and run yoga weekends for guests. Uh, the Two weeks ago, we had our food and we had our food and wine uh, festival, which was our banquet in the bush. 
Um, and there we had Kevin Arnold from Waterford Estate. We had Simone Musgrave, who is the one of the founding uh, craft gin manufacturers in South Africa. And then we had Chef Craig Cormack. And over two days, we did a variety of different menus, wine tasting, gin masterclasses. We turned our Boma into a theater of flame where we did beautiful cooking demonstrations using Wagyu meat from a neighboring farm, food with a story, wine with a story. That was very successful. And then the last, the next one is, as you said, is the Safari Unplugged, um, where Craig Hines uh, from Watershed, um, together with the Gate Quartet, a string quartet from Grahamstown, um, over the weekend, we'll have a variety of different musical entertainment uh, experiences, be it a string quartet um, hosting uh, our guests for a sundowner stop in the middle of the bush with beautiful sounds to elegant music in the dining room in the evening. Uh, Craig himself will be playing um, in the Boma around the fire, unplugged for our guests, doing a little concert um, in the Boma outdoors. Uh, so that's going to obviously be one of the highlights. And then on the Sunday, we've got um, Craig teaming up with the, the score, with the quartet to do some stuff by the pool as we have a beautiful outside brunch. So the weekend will involve a variety of different uh, musical acts in the evening, in the day, out on Game Drive, and just add a different twist to uh, a safari experience in the bush. So we're very, very excited about that. Um, it's taking place, I think it's taking place at the end of June. Um, on the 25th and the 27th of June. And the cost, if, um, may, may I share the cost, Alex? Absolutely. People are going to say, what is it going to cost me? Yeah. Uh, okay. So the, the normal rate that we have, normal rate being uh, the special local residence rate, is 4,150 Rand per person per night. Yes, that's expensive, but let me just share with you what what's included. Obviously, that includes your accommodation. It includes all of your meals. It includes two game drives a day with teas and coffees and drinks on your game drives. It includes visits to the Born Free uh, Center, the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, um, game trails, and all of that. So the 4150 is the normal South African rate for this weekend. Uh, we're charging a slight premium. Obviously, we need to cover the costs of the band and all the musicians. So the, the weekend is going for 4,950 Rand per person per night. And that's inclusive of everything, obviously, apart from your, your drinks. Um, but that'll give you uh, a, a front row seat up close and personal in the Boma, um, sitting next to Craig as he does a concert in the Boma. So... Um, yeah, it's also we've, the Boma Longley Manor only takes a maximum of 40 guests. So even if we fill Longley Manor and then we get a great turnout and we open up Riverdean, uh, you actually won't have more than 50 or 60 guests. So you're part of a very, very small, intimate group um, enjoying all of these beautiful acts with the quartet and with Craig from Watershed. So, so that's the story for the safari unplugged at the end of june listen i mean for something like that and and once you've been there i mean like you know theo says you know it might sound expensive trust me it's it's premium priced but you're getting a premium experience and it really is just something different i mean at, at no point do you feel like you're getting shortchanged you're really getting such a great deal and i mean to think about sitting under the stars the african uh, sky with watershed playing and a string quartet I mean, if you're, if you're not married or engaged by then, you will be after that weekend, let me tell you. I mean, I can't think of anything more romantic than that. Theo, quick one as we wrap up. How's our giraffe doing? And when I say our giraffe, we were there when uh, one of the giraffes gave birth to uh, a little calf. We were watching, sitting there for 20 minutes as birth took place. Uh, how is our giraffe doing? Well, you know, that is the most incredible thing, Alex, because as you started mentioning it, I remember I was actually leaving the reserve 
you and I watched that little giraffe get born together. That's it. We are grandparents. And I'm sure my wife was in tears. I was almost in tears. I'm pleased to tell you that the little giraffe is still going well. Fantastic. Um, which is quite a surprise because obviously there are we're a big five reserve. So we've got cheetah on the reserve. We've got leopard. We've got lion. And it's very rare that small animals like that that are given birth to um, survive. This chap is still going well. I think he's about two weeks old now, two and a half weeks old. But, uh, yeah, he was spotted over the weekend. So your little giraffe is still going well. I'm very pleased to share that with you. Well, send our best <laughs> wishes. And uh, we're thrilled that he's doing well. And uh, that I hope mom is also going strong. Theo Cromote, he's the General Manager of Hospitality at Shamari Private Game Reserve. Listen, thank you so much for your hospitality and for a great weekend and uh, for letting us experience this. And I wish you uh, many more successful months ahead. And uh, may you go from strength the strength. Oh, thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much for the support. Great to talk to you. Hopefully get lots of Gautengers coming down to the Eastern Cape. So for that, I'm eternally grateful, sir. This is the Santon Times Podcast. Follow us on social media. Bit of a different podcast this week. Uh, as mentioned, we're streaming this live on Twitter Spaces, whilst also making it available package delayed on the various, various podcast platforms. And uh, during that interview, we had a couple of people pop in and out of the Twitter space. Lesejo, Mtrolisi, Eli, Sipesichle, thank you so much for checking in. And uh, great to have you listening in as uh, as we're trying out this new platform. Um, I'm quite fascinated to see how it's going to work, if it's going to work. I could already see uh, there's some, being some technical issues with... Uh, the joys of fiber and the joys of 4G and the joys of all these things, uh, you know, you would have thought that we would have pretty seamless connectivity by now. But uh, unfortunately, in the heart of Santon, fiber and 4G are still questionable as to how good they are and how solid it is. But yeah, I mean, we're going to try and see if we can take uh, some people's comments or some people's uh, kind of how Twitter Spaces works. It's almost like a like a phone-in kind of thing where you can kind of ask or request to, to speak. We're still trying to figure that part out. So let's see if we can get it right for this episode. If not, we'll try again next week and see if we can get it right. But I think it could be quite a nice dimension that we're adding to this to be able to take some of your uh, input and some of your thoughts. And yeah, it'd be great to chat to you, uh, you know, as uh, as this show unfolds. Online. Mobile. Anywhere. Anytime. This is the Santin Times Podcast. So we're chatting Shamwari, we're chatting our Eastern Cape tour, and, uh, you know, it's just an incredible game reserve, and we almost sound like, you know, we're almost sort of like fanboys here, but we, we really are. I mean, we really enjoyed our stay at Shamwari, and when it's something that's really an awesome experience, you want to you want to share it, yeah? and you really want to make sure that people really understand kind of what they're missing or what you should be checking out when you go and plan your trips to wherever you are in South Africa, because we always end up going to the same sort of places and it's always great to try something new. And if there's something new that's worth seeing, it's definitely worth uh, promoting. Now, one of the attractions at Shamwari Private Game Reserve is uh, the Shamwari Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. And just wipe everything out of your mind in terms of what you know of rehabilitation centers, because we often you know, drive around, if you go to the Kruger, if you go, you know, to, to the, the Limpopo and Pumalanga, so all these provinces, and you always come across some sort of rehabilitation center or sort of animal engagement encounter or, or something like this. And after having spent uh, some time with, with my next guest, uh, she supervises the Shamwari Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, I, I started looking at things quite differently. And uh, she really kind of put it into context 
as to kind of what rehabilitation means and how much impact we have when we engage with animals uh, and to what extent we should or shouldn't be engaging with animals. And that's why I thought we should get her on the line. She's Lisa Horn. Lisa, good to chat to you again. Uh, Lisa, tell us a little bit more Hi. about uh, the, the the rehabilitation center. What, what are you doing there on a day-to-day basis? So we basically stand for freedom of all wild animals. So we are a registered wildlife rehabilitation center that is open to any sick, injured, or orphaned wild animals. And then obviously we try and patch them up as quick as possible and then try and release them also as successful as possible back into the wild. So either onto Shamwari or back to the original farm where they came from. But we mainly, we take in any wild animals. We do not just focus on Shamwari animals. Only when it's really necessary, we interfere with Shamwari animals. Otherwise, they get sent to us from all over the region. And let me just paint, if you're listening, let me paint a picture of what this rehabilitation center looks like. So you kind of get off the uh, the Land Cruiser and there firstly is quite an interesting sort of exhibitional feature, which is these pillars that kind of all um, sort of move down the row and kind of meet up at this mirror at the end and each pillar is an animal that has gone extinct over the years and it also shows you which year that species or that animal went extinct and right at the end you've got this mirror to kind of almost symbolize you know kind of looking at whose whose fault was it that this animal might have disappeared or no longer exists and i mean you can sort of connect the dots and put two and two together because humanity unfortunately has been very involved in a lot of these animals fates and then you get into the actual center and then behind the the, the center which has got a bit of information you've got the different holding areas for the different animal types. And what I really enjoyed or found quite interesting was the fact that you've got different animals or similar animals together in each of the different spaces that you that they occupy. So you've kind of got uh, this porcupine living with this bush pig, and then you've got uh, an owl sort of living next door to a black eagle. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the philosophy of how you're sort of rehabilitating these animals, uh, sort of living together in the sort of mixed commune of, of wildlife. Okay, so as a rehab facility, it sometimes it's very difficult because mainly we work at this stage with orphans. Orphans stay with us the longest, whether you're Injured animals, it's a quick fix, and then as soon as they've recovered, it's a release. But with the orphans, I mean, no baby and no animal truly wants to be alone. And um, it has proven to be very difficult as the caretakers. If we have to be company or a friend to any orphan, those animals tend to get habituated, a little bit more tame. They see people as company, as friendship. And that is something that we try and avoid as far as possible. So we often rely on companion animals. Rehabilitating on a large scale, we're fairly lucky because we have a lot of orphans at the same time. So we pair up any animal that's either the same size or the same age, but we have had a few interesting combinations where they're not the same size, more or less the same age, but that has resulted to a hippo, Henry the hippo, being best friends to Petunia the buffalo, with Sally the warthog. <laughs> so you get sometimes very interesting combinations, but the idea is that that, that animal has company. And if we get to 
um, learn our animals to relate with animals, it makes our jobs at the end of the day a lot easier because our animals tend to stay wild. And that is exactly what we want and need to prove a successful release at the end of the day. I think that was a key message that came out of the tour that you took us on and showed us all the different animals that you were rehabilitating. And these animals come from all over. I mean, you know, once again, if you're listening and you, you, you're you trying to put a paint a picture here in your mind, you know, these are animals that have been found uh, on the side of the road. These are animals that have gotten stuck in fences that people have come across that have kind of brought uh, this animal to the rehabilitation center. And I think the key message that came out of, you know, a lot that you were saying was the fact that... Uh, you have to let the animals do their thing and sort of almost remove the human element out of it. And that's when the animals kind of take on their natural instinct or their natural gut feel in being a wild animal. I think the the more humans intervened and, you know, we were talking about sort of these, these petting experiences and walking with, you know, warthogs and whatever else people do uh, these days in terms of wildlife, um, you're not doing the animals any favors. And as much as a lot of places might say we're rehabilitating the animal, someday, you know, in the far, far future, this animal will be uh, let go into the wild. It's very difficult for an animal that's been that close to humans uh, and that dependent, and like you were saying, builds up relationship with humans to now suddenly, like, you know, run into a, a reserve like Shamwari and suddenly try and speak the same language or have the same instinct as an animal that's never actually sort of engaged with humans. And I think... Um, it was really uh, eye-opening to, to experience that. And, and it almost seems a little bit um, obvious, uh, but I don't think it's being done a lot anywhere else. No, look, a lot of people, they, they do it, unfortunately, sometimes for the wrong reasons, more, more for a, a tourist attraction-driven uh, reason rather than giving the animals their space, making sure that they're still happy, but also respecting them as wild animals and giving them kind of the, the freedom to, to be a wild animal and to kind of get into what they like, what they dislike, um, rather than keeping them in a small pen where people can go and feed them, interact with them. So we're very strict on, number one, pairing as quick as possible an animal with an animal. And then also, number two, we're very strict to not even... Um, allow our guests to even look how we are feeding because we don't want animals to combine humans with feeding time. That is how strict and how specific we are with trying to raise our animals the correct way of trying to keep them as wild as possible. So it's very sad, very heartbreaking to hear of loads of places that market themselves as a rehabilitation center and then unfortunately do it for the benefit of humans and not benefit for the animal itself. And that's where we really try and, and be the example and try and make up for all those facilities that really just take these animals for granted. And I think to put money where your mouth is as well, uh, if you want to come to this rehabilitation centre and you're not... Uh, residing at Shamwari or you're not a guest of Shamwari, you can't actually come and see it. So there's no sort of day visitors or class trips or university functions or whatever it is where you pay sort of your 50 rand or whatever and you come and see the animals. That doesn't exist. Uh, so if you want to come see the, the center, you have to be living uh, at one of the Shamwari lodges and by special arrangements, they will then uh, sort of make a plan for you to to come for, you know, a, a, a brief period of time, take a walk about and... Uh, and kind of just see what's being done. So you're sort of an observer. It's not sort of a tourist attraction, but you're just sort of seeing a fully operational rehabilitation center doing what it does. Uh, 
Lisa, you also mentioning how uh, long it takes to rehabilitate uh, elephants. I think you were saying it takes uh, something like 13 or 14 years. Yes, spot on. <laughs> uh, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's no, it's crazy. Um, it's, it's, they're one of your most difficult animals to rehabilitate because they're such social animals. And um, they, they're honestly like human toddlers. I mean, you have to be mom, you have to be their safety, their security. So it's a lot of work. You, you sleep with them, you walk with them, you sometimes eat with them, you cry with them. They're part of the family at the end of the day. And the difficult thing with rehabilitating elephants is the part of integrating them back into the herd. So um, we're very fortunate. We do have two orphans at this stage, but the more orphans you have, the easier it becomes. So if you look at about 20 to 30 elephant orphans, orphans, that is ideal because then at the end you will just release all the orphans together and they are already uh, kind of like a structured little herd. But releasing individuals, it's hard to get them integrated into a herd because it's like trying to get them part of a random family, but they're actually strangers. So that's why it's such a lengthy, sophisticated process. Um, but we're very positive that these two that we currently have will hopefully be not too difficult. But even if it takes more than 13 years, I mean, we're really not bothered about time. We're just taking on a pace that Stella and Amara, the two orphans, that they are comfortable with, and then we'll take it step by step. But Lisa, hang on a second. So now people might say, uh, well, you've just told me uh, the less time we spend with these animals and the more we let them be wild, uh, the better it is. And uh, and then with the elephants, you're telling me, like, you know, we're sleeping with them, we're, we're, we're crying with them, we're feeding them. Uh, how does that work? So it all depends, obviously, on the type of animal. So... A very social animal, it's sometimes very difficult to rehabilitate. In this case, uh, elephants, they, they're kind of a, an animal on their, in a completely owned um, category. So you must keep in, in your mind that elephant babies, I mean, they're with their moms, their aunts, their grannies, their uncles, I mean, every single step of the day. They're underneath their feet. They're very emotional animals. So you, you'll see if you... If you look or pay attention to uh, elephant herd, you'll see the mom caressing the baby and the one baby playing with the other baby. So they, they're so used to a social structure that if you take them out of that structure and you place them in by themselves, often these animals, they easily mourn themselves to death. They go into depression, they stop eating, they lose weight, they get dehydrated. So it's a very fine line of of how we form that structure to them and when we interfere and kind of wean them from that structure. So at this stage, they are like toddlers. They're four years old now. So we are their family. We're a, a man-made family. We are a team of four people. They know our scent, our shirts, our voices, and they're comfortable with us. So we are the ones that has raised them from the start up until now. And slowly we've weaned them now completely. No more milk bottles, no more nightship feeds. We no longer sleep with them. And they've already moved kind of into a next phase where they only get brave enough now to kind of go and explore by themselves. Whereas a year ago, they would not even leave their enclosure without adult supervision, if that makes sense. So... The older they get, the more brave they get to kind of explore 
by themselves and no longer need that supervision of the caretaker or their man-made family member. Um, so it's a long process. This process we're following by um, other elephant orphanages that have their own system. So we're kind of mimicking their system. They've shown us how it's done. It's been proven successful as well. So we are trying to see what we can do with it. Um, but for now, Stalin and Mara, they've shown massive improvement. So they no longer require our attention for the whole day. A lot more independent. They go and explore by themselves. And only once we call them to, just to do a quick monitor, then they come back. Well, let me tell you, it's really a, an interesting and eye-opening experience to kind of watch a rehabilitation center do its thing and uh, and, and and by the looks of things, do it, do it properly. Uh, it, it really is wonderful. And once again, to encourage you, if you are tempted to go and, you know, sort of walk with cheetahs or elephants or rhinos or all kinds of things, I know there's all kinds of different attractions out there. Just be aware of the impact it could have. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. We probably need like an hour or two to start on packing all of that but yeah. just be aware that it's not necessarily doing the animal any good uh, in the long run and that the motivation behind it might be different to what uh, it initially seems so lisa horn supervisor at the shimwari wildlife rehabilitation center thank you so much for joining us thank you so much i really appreciate it and we hope to see you soon you're listening to the santon times podcast now, we've been spending quite a bit of time in the bush this month, and uh, coincidentally, Environmental uh, Minister Barbara Creasy announced a plan to ban the breeding of lions in captivity for trophy hunting or for tourists this past week. In a news briefing, Creasy said that the study recommended that domestication of lions through captive breeding and keeping should stop. And uh, interesting enough, an article on ecr.co.za quotes that there are about uh, 8,000 to 12,000 lions at some 350 farms around South Africa, which are raised for hunting, tourism, and academic research, according to estimates by wildlife groups. And uh, meanwhile, only around 3,500 lions live in the wild across the country, which is a, a very stark contrast. Now, a man who has been fighting this cause for quite some time uh, is Lord Ashcroft, whose book Unfair Game uncovered the horrors facing lions during a year-long investigation and a powerful expose regarding the real truth of the matter. Lord Ashcroft joins me on the line. And uh, firstly, how are you feeling at this time regarding the latest news coming out of South Africa's Ministry of Environment? I'm absolutely uh, uh, delighted. Uh, this industry, uh, which has been born for profit and the lion's uh, bread for the bullet, has been a stain on South Africa for many years. And I believe it's very brave of the minister to come to the view that this industry must now stop and that the spoiling of brand South Africa must cease. It's a good feeling. For me, the investigation that led to the book of Unfair Game was an expensive venture. It was around a million US dollars. Uh, but with a breath of relief, it's, uh, it's money well spent. It's an amount that normal media couldn't afford to do, nor could any charity uh, afford to do. And so um, there's still some way to go until the industry is and the stain is removed. But it's an excellent start. Now, in your own words, what do you feel are some of the key findings that you had uncovered in your book, The Unfair Game, that would have possibly moved government to make this decision? 
number of reasons. A warning from experts that lion farming and the lion bone trade are likely to lead to another major public health incident, possibly even another coronavirus-style pandemic. And there was footage in the book and on my website showing two hunting lodge owners callously shooting a lioness in a tree. Animal is then shot another nine times in seven minutes as she lies dying in agony uh, on the ground. I showed proof that wild lion cubs are being caught in Botswana to increase the gene pool of South Africa's captive bred lion industry. And this blows a hole in the claims of lion farmers that their business promotes conservation. Evidence of a captive bred lion being hunted and killed illegally using a pack of dogs and evidence of a British hunter paying to take part in an illegal green hunt in which a lion was shot with tranquilizer dark. And evidence of lions being kept in disgusting conditions at a farm in Free State Province before 54 were slaughtered in just two days. And it goes on and on, and all those details can be found in Unfair Game and on my new website, lordashcroftwildlife.com. Well, there's some startling stories that you've shared there. And, uh, you know, there's some sort of stark contrast between us viewing lions as predators, an animal that humans have feared for so many years, and at the same time, this vulnerability that humans have put lions into. Uh, what was the decision to take up the fight for lions specifically? It was by coincidence. For many years, I've enjoyed photographic safaris in Africa, whether it's uh, South Africa, Botswana, Kenya, Tanzania. And I was, um, funnily enough, um, at a um, a rhino uh, farm where they looked after uh, baby rhinos that uh, their mothers had been shot by uh, poachers. And I was told about the captive bread lion industry. And quite frankly, I couldn't believe uh, what I was hearing. And so that was the start of the first undercover operation in which I got a group of special tech special forces guys uh, to go and have a look, including flying a drone over a couple of the farms uh, to be able to get a bird's eye view. And much to my horror, uh, not only was the story true, uh, but the trade was even worse than I had, that had been described to me and the conditions in which the lions were kept were abhorrent. So I then decided that um, perhaps I needed a, a second uh, undercover operation. And during this process, I actually got a hunter uh, to buy a lion and go through the process, go to the farm, and go through the whole uh, procedure and then at the last minute not to shoot this particular lion. But having paid for the lion, I, I insisted through, through my people that uh, we actually rescued it. And it is today um, in a safe home because I've actually bought the lion. But whilst my special force guy was there, uh, he made it his business to have a look at the slaughterhouses and took some horrific photographs of how they were skinning the lions uh, for their bones uh, to go to the Far East uh, to be made into either bone cake, bone wine, 
for aphrodisiac purposes to which no medic has ever said they work for that particular uh, uh, purpose. And even though there was a uh, legal limit on the number of skeletons that South Africa could um, export, it was abundantly clear uh, that that limit was regularly exceeded. And I suppose one of the things which I mentioned earlier, going to Botswana, where, 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 where they went across the border deliberately uh, to kill the mothers in order to steal the, the, the wild cubs to bring them back into South Africa to improve the gene pool. This is horrific stuff. So the, 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 the minister in taking the view that it should stop is absolutely right. And I'm delighted. How do you think that the this multi-million dollar industry that's now been built around this is, is going to react to, to some of this news? Well, of course, they're going to be disappointed. Uh, but in life, life is not about the best of choices. It's always about least worst alternatives. And um, and in this particular case, for, for, for the sake of South Africa as a whole and the brand of South Africa, it's absolutely necessary uh, that this trade be stopped. And so, of course, like any criminal that gets, well, I, I choose my words uh, carefully, is that anyone that, that gets stopped uh, in illegal activity is always a bit fed up. And, and of course, many many of these farms have had a lot of capital investment. I mean, I flew over uh, six farms in a helicopter, uh, having a look, and the amount of cages and fencing is fairly massive. And of course, that will that will have to be used for something else or, or written off. But that's a consequence of what they started in the first place. Well, Lord Ashcroft, final question. Uh, following the success you've now had with this investigation and, and, and sort of the action that's been taken, uh, are there any other causes on the map that may face a, a similar effort or, or a similar uh, sort of project that you've undertaken? Well, even, even before this particular uh, project, I have been involved in a, a campaign to halt commercial whaling. Uh, and this goes back 10 years or so. And I, I find it abhorrent in the 21st century that wealthy countries such as uh, Norway and Japan kill thousands of whales every year. And these beautiful creatures often die horrible deaths after being shot by harpoons that explode once they're penetrated into the whale. Whaling is cruel, outdated, and unnecessary. It's another barbaric practice which I hope will be stopped one day. Well, if you're listening and you want to find out more about uh, this book, Unfair Game, an expose of South Africa's captive bread line industry, go check online. And it's probably also available at all good bookstores. Lord Ashcroft, I thank you for making the time, not only for this interview, but uh, for this investigation that has now led to this uh, landmark announcement uh, that could uh, make African lines that much safer on the continent. Thank you very much indeed for taking the time to be interested in it. This is the Santin Times Podcast. Follow us on social media. Well, that's it for another lively episode of the Santin Times Podcast. Uh, I know we've been trying to get this Twitter spaces to work, but it doesn't seem to be on our side. We've had people popping in and out, but I don't think we've quite figured out how to uh, take people's calls 
or messages or whatever it is. So anyway, to all of those who did tune in, thank you so much. And uh, to you, if you want to get in touch, you can email editor at santontimes.ca.today. You can connect with us on social media at Santon Times. And don't forget to visit the website, santontimes.co.today. As always, you can subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you haven't fought, you know, if you didn't manage to catch it live uh, on Twitter spaces. And uh, thank you to all my guests this week uh, from uh, both local and and overseas. The weekend is around the corner, so let's make it a good one, even if it's getting a little colder. But for now, thank you for listening, and let's connect again next week.